As Andrew mentioned this morning, we're in for a special treat today. We have Aaron that's going to be delivering a, a word to us today. But we just want you to get to know the family. So Carolyn and Aaron have been married for 28 years. They have three kids. Two have graduated from ACU and Harding, and one is currently a junior at ACU. Aaron has served on the staff with the East Grand Church of Christ in Springfield, Missouri for 11 years, and then Cinco Ranch Church of Christ in Katy, Texas for eight years. He then became a Navy chaplain in 2015 and is currently serving at Camp Pendleton in the 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines. So uh, I've had the opportunity to talk to Aaron, and he's, he's, just sit, he's willing to do whatever we need him to do. He's here for a short time. But he really wants to jump in and serve. He's an amazing speaker. Uh, we're very blessed to have him today. So, Aaron, preach the word. Well, good morning. It's good to get to be here this morning. Thankful for the opportunity. Uh, Micaiah, thankful for your singing this morning. I'm telling you, a Marine that can shoot and sing. Hurrah, brother. We're, we're, gl we're glad to have you. That's right. Um, Carolyn and I are very thankful for the warm welcome that we've received at the church since we've been here for the last several months. Um, when I became a chaplain, I, I, I love what I do. I'm very thankful to get to do what I do, but it's, it's challenging uh, because those of us in the service, um, it, it's, it's a transient lifestyle, and, and you are, are changing stations and leaving home, and um, we know what it's like to have good church community. And your warm handshakes, your warm smiles are well received by all of us who serve. Um, we talked about it being Military Sunday and, and the donations that have been made. For those of us who are in the military, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for, for what you do. Thank you for the, the generosity that you show. Um, a lot of times those donations actually come through the chaplain's office, and so I get the privilege of receiving that and, and handing that out. And, and I wish you could see the looks on the faces of our, of our service members. Uh, even this time last year, it was deployed halfway around the world. And we're receiving packages on the ship and getting to distribute that to the Marines and sailors on board. And when you would give it to them, and they would say, where did this come from? Like, there's people that are back home thinking of you and... Oh my goodness, that means so much. Uh, Caleb uh, was sharing just a, a few weeks ago in his story about coming home from deployment, the impact that your letters, your packages, your cards had on him. And brother, that day was baptized. Uh, we, we, it means a lot when you take the effort, make the effort to let your service members know that they may be gone around the world, but they're not forgotten. So thank you for your generosity. The, uh, this diaper drive and, and this um, donation uh, has been amazing to watch kind of unfold because a few weeks ago there was kind of a small bucket and a little pile of diapers. And then by last week, diapers were just overflowing. The bucket had moved to a big box. And even right now, this box is just overflowing with supplies. And, and there's something about that abundance, the abundance of your generosity that I think kind of helps us segue into our text today. Because as you've heard, we're, we're going to take a look at the story of the, the prodigal son, a, a story with which most of us are, are probably familiar. But we find a son who is ready to leave home. He is ready to live on his own. And so he tells his dad, look dad, I, I don't have time to wait for that whole reading of the will thing. I'm just wondering if, could we go ahead and kind of speed it up a little bit? Could you just go ahead and give me what I'm going to get when you die? Um, 
I really got some life to get on with. The audacity to ask his dad for his inheritance. But his dad gives it to him. And so he takes his dad's life's work. He takes his dad's life savings. He takes his dad's blood, sweat, and tears that he has poured into this legacy to pass on to his children. And we're told, Jesus will say, that he squanders this wealth in wild living. We know him as the prodigal son, and, and it's actually for this reason. Um, prodigal isn't necessarily a word that I'm, I use very often, but if you, if you look up the definition, uh, we see that prodigal actually means, there we go, spending in, a, in an extravagant, a wastefully extravagant way. Uh, maybe you're familiar with another variation of, of this term, prodigious. Uh, a prodigious giver is someone who gives extravagantly. Maybe you're familiar with your car right now that is a prodigious guzzler of gas when you are filling up at the, uh, the fuel pump. This wastefully extravagant, that, that it is just over and, ab- and beyond, and there's this abundance of wastefulness. This is a story of extravagance. Let's see if I can get this clicker to work. Um, a story of extravagance. The son, he takes this wad of cash from his dad, and essentially he just makes it rain until there is no more. We watch him fail, and, and we wonder at, at what point did he get so far off track? I mean, what was it that that planted the seeds in his mind for the possibilities in this far-off distant land? Were, were there travelers that came through his hometown and talked about the places that were out there? Um, had he heard stories of what was beyond the borders of his own land? Um, maybe he saw a commercial on TV. Maybe he's Googling one day and an ad banner pops up. Maybe he's seen a TikTok tour of what all can happen out there. And finally, he gets up the nerve, the nerve, to again ask his dad, Dad, there's a lot to be done. I'm, I'm ready for it. i got to get on with things. So he packs up. He walks off, and, and there's hope. I got this, Dad. I'll be okay. But we know that he doesn't got this. Isn't that how sin works? That, that long before we actually crossed that line, we, we've been inching up there. We've been working our way towards it. It's not a story of just that inch that we cross. It's been yards of working our way towards this line. If, if dieting, long before we actually consume those calories, we've been thinking about it, looking at it, smelling it, um, yeah, that's right. I mean, maybe, maybe you've never heard of, let me see if we get the picture up here. Maybe one day somebody tells you about crumble cookies. I've, crumble cookies? I've, well, what is this crumble? Oh, it's the most amazing place. You, you've never heard of it. And, and then maybe you, you, you see it. Maybe you, you watch those um, weekly revelations of the flavors that will be for sale that week. Uh, maybe you decide, you know, I, I probably don't need that. I'm, I'm, I'm dieting. I'm, I'm trying to watch. But, you know, if, I mean, what's it going to hurt if I just kind of go up to the store and kind of look through the window? Uh, 
up, you know what, now that I'm at the window, let me, I can smell, let me just step inside and see what these crumble cookies look like. Uh, maybe I begin to look and I begin to smell, and it's, it's not going to hurt if I just, go ahead, let me just go and get a box. I mean, it, I, can, I can take it home with me and just admire it from a distance. And, you know, what's it going to hurt if I just, just a little lick? I'm not going to eat it, no calories in a lick. And what about just a little square, just a little sliver, and before we know it, a box of four cookies is gone. And, and maybe I'm revealing too much about my own journey here. I'm not sure. But uh, um, yeah, you got it as well. Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that um, solidarity right there. Uh, James will say, James tells us in James chapter 1, that each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full, burnt, full grown, gives birth to death. This, this path that leads to sin, that leads to the failing, the floundering, long before the son squandered his father's wealth and loose and wild living, he, was, he had somehow convinced himself, I'll be better off on my own. I don't need dad. I, I can do it my own way. And it's not till the pig pen that he realizes the flaw in his thinking. This is a story of extravagance. And it's an extravagance that came at a high cost for this, this younger son. But it's not the only place that we find extravagance in this story. Because Jesus will tell us, he tells us at the very beginning that there were two sons. That a man had two sons. And while the younger one is out there living it up, while the younger one is out there doing that wild living, the older one, he's home working hard. He, he's, he's taking care of, of all of his dad's legacy and estates and, and, and working here, staying within the, um, the, the radius of his father. In fact, we, we wonder how much more does he have to do now that his younger brother is gone? I mean, this used to be something that they could kind of share together, all the tasks, all the demands, and, and yet... Younger brother, little brother's gone. I've got all this much more work to do. How often is he reminded that every morning when he walks down to the, the breakfast table and, and he sees his dad and he sees um, the coffee that's ready and he sees the chair that's empty? That's right. He left us. He's out there doing wild stuff while we're back here holding down the fort. And then he hears about this party being thrown for his younger brother's return home? Jesus will tell us that when he hears about this party, he's angry. And he refuses to go in. Now, now part of us gets this. I mean, are there any familiar family dynamics with which you can relate here? Does something sound a little familiar? Any firstborns in, in the room? Yeah, us firstborns, we generally are the ones that kind of take the rules and the responsibilities, and, you know, we, we have that sense of, of loyalty to, to whatever's been laid down. And, and then what happens when the baby comes along? Yeah, that's, it's so different for the baby. Now, now, maybe you know that baby. Maybe you are that baby. I, I, it could be either way, but, but family dynamics. But, you know, Jesus, far from addressing family birth order or sibling rivalry, is is actually making a pointed play here. 
uh, Luke gives us the key to interpretation for how we can interpret this understanding in, in verses 1 through 3. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Now, Luke tells us kind of what's going on in the background before these stories are told. There's tax collectors, there's sinners, the Pharisees are muttering, and Jesus says, you know what, let me tell you a story. And so he tells a story. He tells a story about a lost um, sheep, a sheep that, that's lost in 99 or left behind so that this one could be found. He tells a story about a lost coin. Um, nine are in the pocket, but one is somewhere in the house. You need to find that. And then he tells a story about a lost son. You know, this older brother, as much as we may be able to identify him, as much as we may be able to actually say, I kind of get your point, I could see how it could be a little frustrating, a little infuriating, that he's gone, he comes back, he gets a party. We, we can kind of understand, but the story isn't about defending the older brother. It's actually exposing his heart as well. Jesus is revealing attitudes that are present right here in the crowd. There are the religious leaders, the religious folks, who are standing in the presence of Jesus with their arms crossed and their nose high, and they're looking around at the crowd saying, my goodness, does he know who these people are? Does he know who that is and what they have done? Jesus is telling a story to get at the heart of the extravagance. It's right here in the crowd before him. Yes, there is an extravagance, an abundance of sin, but there is also an extravagance, an abundance of self-righteousness. It's a story of extravagance. Now, self-righteousness, is a, it's a sneakier problem than, than that which we might give credit because... Uh, we can spot that wild and loose living. When the boy is blowing all the money in a distant land, we know that for what it is. But this, this self-righteousness, it, it creeps, up, creeps up on us. I mean, we are trying to do right. We are trying to live right. And so we study, and so we learn, and so we memorize, and so we recite, and, and so we discipline ourselves, and, and, and we deny ourselves some of those pleasures, and, and we align ourselves to the will of God, and we conform our ways to His ways. But then a subtle shift begins to happen. Before long, we begin to notice the actions and the discrepancies of others. Huh, look at what I've done, and there's a lot of other people that aren't doing quite what I'm doing. Maybe we've never struggled with the crumble cookies. We can't understand why somebody would eat a full box of crumble cookies. Get a hold of yourself, man, it's just cookies. And so we begin to draw lines, we begin to make assumptions, Oh, I can tell you all their story. I, I can see it all right there. And even more, we, we begin to use them to make us feel better about ourselves. Wow. I'm, I may not be great, but I'm sure not as bad as that. Have you ever seen the, the meme of, of how you can feel skinny? 
You know, if you want to feel skinny, just make sure you have a friend who's fat. Uh, this cat right there, I, we'll, we'll, decide, we'll let you decide which one is which, but um, we can feel a lot better about ourselves by looking down at those around us. How, how quickly good intentions. It, the older brother has stayed home. The older brother has, has tried to do the right thing. But those good intentions can become skewed and very quickly can become self-centered. It's all about me. This is a story of extravagance. And, you know, what the brother really reveals is that his issue isn't actually with the younger brother. His real issue is with the dad. Because at one point, when he's confronted by his father... You remember what he uh, throws in his dad's face? He, he gives his resume. He tells his dad, look, dad, I've been slaving for you all these years. His issue isn't with the kid brother. He's, he's completely misunderstood what it means to live in his dad's house. This, this has to be a slap in his dad's face. The son who stayed home is the son who is actually just as far from him. You, you see, we, we see that the, as far as the younger son drifted that way, the, the older son has, has drifted that far this way. It's the same distance, just a different direction. Each are lost in their own extravagance. The extravagance of sin the extravagance of self-righteousness, and they have failed to see the most amazing extravagance that is right before their eyes. This is a story of extravagance. There is extravagance all through this story. But that extravagance and that extravagance pale in comparison to the one who is truly extravagant and the love that he has for his boys the classic picture of the love that the father has for his children comes when? Son comes to his senses. He says, I got to go back home. Look, people live better under my dad's house. If he'll just let me, you know, just work on his land, I'll have a better life than what's going on right now. And he's on his way home. And, and what do we remember that the dad does? Oh, I mean, as soon as he comes into view, the dad story of extravagance. There's a lot that's made, and rightly so, of, of the significance of a, of a father, a man of his age, who would run in this culture. Um, that, that's, there's not the dignity, the, the respect, the, the, the control of oneself, of, of just being able to, to carry on in a, in, a, um, in, a, in a clean fashion. But he runs. He, he loses control. He sees his boy, and he's got to get to him. Hikes up his robes, and there's embarrassment there. But we don't have to be an expert in Jewish culture to, to know the significance of his father's actions. Because the dad runs to him. We see the significance of that. When the dad gets to him, what does the dad begin to do? He hugs him. He kisses him. He celebrates him. He gives him clothes. He gives him sandals. He gives him a ring. He restores him to his place in the family. And he says, we got to get a party started because my boy has come home. 
It's a story of extravagance, of a father's love that flows in amazing abundance. But this isn't the only time that we see the extravagance of his love. I wonder if we caught a glimpse way back when his son first asked for his inheritance. His, his son has the audacity to ask, hey, Dad, could you give me what's going to be due mine when you die? And we expect a laugh. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're not getting anything right now. But instead of a laugh, could it be that his dad actually is willing to show him some love? Is it possible that that the father loves his boy so much that he refuses to force himself upon his son. That, that he is willing to give his son the space to decide. The father knows his boy. He knows that his boy doesn't got this. He knows that the boy is going to blow the money and squander it in wild living. We say that it's the prodigal son. The prodigal son is wastefully extravagant. But some would say, and Tim Keller actually has a book that, that, that says that, that maybe actually the one who's wastefully extravagant is the father who is willing to give all of his money, who is willing to give all of this this life legacy that has been built for his boys, he's willing to give it to him. And, and if it's all spent and it's all gone, but somehow it brings his boy to his senses to bring him back home, then, then that's, that's a cost the dad is willing to pay. A story of extravagance. But this isn't the only place, nor is it the only son, that we see the extravagance of the father when the older son refuses to go into that party. And he's, he's standing outside with his arms crossed and he's angry and infuriated. What do we see the dad do? The dad comes to him. The dad runs to his boy who's coming home from the pig pen. And the dad goes to the boy who's refusing to come in. Again, he's the one who makes the movement to his children. It's a story of extravagance. The father's amazing, abundant love, and yet his boys have both missed it. Raised in his house, and they have, they have failed to see the extravagance of his love. The younger son is he's so caught up in the fear of missing out. Yeah, 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 Dad, I, I know, you know what you want from me, but oh, there's so much to be done out there. That, that he misses the extravagance of his father's love. The older boy, he stays home. But even within the house, he is so focused on, okay, here's what I got to do. Here's the agenda for the day. Here's all the tasks that are demanding me. Yeah, yeah, Dad, I'll get to you sometime later. I've got all of this to do. It's a story of extravagance, and, and both of these boys miss it. Both of these boys fail to see the fear of missing out, the fear of missing the mark. 
both of the boys, what is it that they ultimately want in life? They want control. I want to be able to do my own thing, Dad, in the distant land. I want to be able to do my own thing in the house and prove my worth and my value by the things that I do. They fail to see his love because they're so focused on the wrong spot. It's a story of extravagance, and we find that this is, this is more than just a parable that's told. This, this is... It's a microcosm of the gospel. This, we may say, could be the Cliff Notes version of Scripture itself. What was the very first temptation that was, that was given to humanity? They're in the garden, perfect world, fellowship with the Father, and, and they're given the possibility. If you eat that fruit... You really could do your own thing. You could be your own God. You don't need him. You can have control. Later the law is given. And so the law becomes a list of rules and regulations. And all right, as long as we do these things, as long as we check these boxes, as long as we make these sacrifices and show up to temple or show up to synagogue on time, as long as we say the right prayers, as long as we do the things, then we have control. We control our own destiny. And both fail to miss the extravagance of the Father. It's not just these boys who have failed to see his love. It's the story of humanity. Humanity that's trying to find control either in doing their own thing or in doing it the right way. But missing the extravagance of the Father. You know, biblical faith. Biblical faith invites us to surrender our desire, our quest for control. Biblical faith says, I'm willing to give up the control. I'm willing to surrender the control. And and, and biblical faith leads us to this place where, where we are suddenly vulnerable and we are suddenly find ourselves at his mercy. But biblical faith says that that's exactly where we want to be because we can trust him. We can trust that he loves us with a love that will never end, an extravagant love. This is the testimony of Scripture. All the way back when God reveals himself to Moses in in Exodus 34, and I'm going to just pass on the clicker and I'm just going to walk you through these passages. Because in Exodus 34, when when God reveals himself to Moses, how does he define himself? He says, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. The psalmist can say later, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. John can tell us that this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. John 3.16, we were just talking about this in in Bible class today. Ken reminded us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life with the Father. John will tell us again how great a love the Father has lavished on us, that he should call us children of God, and that is what we are. It's a story of extravagance 
You know, Marines spend a lot of time um, in training. And one of the things that they do a lot of training in is land navigation. Land nav is where you, 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 you get your plot, your point, or your point where you're supposed to get, and then you plot it out on your map, and you've got the grid, and, and, and you've got to use angles and protractors and your compass and, and all of this stuff so that you can get your azimuth and all of these things. They actually put chaplains through a lot of land nav as well. I've, I've actually been through several land nav courses, and my question is, is that if it ever gets so bad that the chaplain's the way to find yourself out of there, things are pretty bad. I mean, if we're looking to chaps, hey, chaps, where do we go from here? And well, I don't know. We'll figure it out together. But you, you have to be able to mark it out, and once you get your point, you move in that direction. Now, you can imagine if you're figuring out angles on a map, if you're not careful, even just a degree or two degrees may not seem like a big deal right here, but by the time I've walked a mile or two miles or three miles, what does that little angle begin to do? It begins to get me way off of course. The extravagance of God's love as we rest ourselves in the testimony of Scripture of a God who sent his Son it gives us the lateral limits. We find that we begin to drift this direction of, of wondering if we're going to miss out. And, oh, we, we bump against this lateral limit saying, no, wait a second. What am I talking about? I'll never be satisfied out there. It's only because he loves me. That's where I will find true satisfaction. We, we may begin to get caught up in what's the letter of the law and, 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 and give me all the specific details so that I can get it all right in line. No, wait a second. No, he loves me, and that puts us back in line. And, and we begin to wonder, can I ever truly be forgiven? I don't know if God can truly forgive me. No, wait a second. He loves me, and it gets us back in line. And we find that as much as we may have tried, as much as we may condition ourselves, that we, like Paul, can say, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't seem to do it. And I know what I'm not supposed to do, and, and that's what I end up doing. I have failed yet again. What does Paul say? Thanks be to God. Who will save me from this wretched person that I am? Thanks be to God for the love he has shown us through Christ. His love keeps us in line so that we, in this story of extravagance, find peace and life in him. It's a story of extravagance. And so may our eyes, may our hearts be open to the abundant, amazing, prodigious, extravagant love that's made available for you and me. Maybe this morning you're ready to accept that love in baptism. You have a chance now. Maybe this morning you, you have been baptized, but, but, but you want to be restored to this understanding of his love for you. We have that chance now. We're, we're going to have another song, and, and our, our shepherds will be down front, um, and, and our elders will be here, and we'll receive you if you wish to respond. So won't you come while we stand and sing? T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace 